0: Hello everyone! Welcome to episode sixty-eight of ZK Live. Tonight we have Jonas from uh, Superstrata NYC. Hello, sir. Hey, Zach.
1: How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. I'm on here. This is great. Yeah. Exciting. Thanks for having me on.
0: No problem. For people who don't know you, who are you and what do you do?
1: All right. My name is Jonas Everett. I am the founder of a company called Superstrata. Uh, we, uh, represent and manage artisans in the interior design industry. Um, so we, uh, primarily our goal is to support artisans in the work that they do. So we, uh, use our relationships with designers to bring them projects and get them work and we help them manage those projects and we help them in the collaborative relationship and, uh, you know, it's, uh, and then repeat and do it. We try to do it over and over and over and just help. I really am passionate about helping artisans uh, build their careers and be able to focus on the work that they enjoy doing and that they are, you know, trained and skilled at and not have to worry about dealing with the, as much of the sales and marketing and, and the back and forth that can happen uh, when on many of these projects.
0: That's a very unique business model. Um, it,
1: it, as far as I know I, it, I'm the only one, um, you know, there are people who are representing artisans who make furniture and things like that. Um, but I think that's a very different animal. Uh, I think we're the only ones doing this where the work primarily is happening on a job site. Um, so it's we are predominantly ornamental and architectural plaster uh decorative plaster finishes paint finishes um, faux finishing decorative painting gilding murals Um, we've done custom fabrics we can do custom wallpapers Uh, we've done aigle mazay glass and we're always looking to expand into new areas cool. Very yeah cool.
0: we, we do only the, only the high gloss is the only thing that we overlap with i, I
1: stay yeah. away from decorative
0: and the faux finishes
1: yeah yeah they're challenging but you know i mean i'm i'm lucky to have some extremely talented people uh who want To focus on doing what they're good at and they see that I bring them value Um, and you know it's not it's not for everybody there are companies out there that you know they manage just fine but it's usually the one that, that it's usually once you've gotten to a certain size that you don't need help and it's the companies that are smaller or the artisans that are you know one two three person shops or you know but i've taken some of these companies from you know one one and two person operations to to you know times now where they're managing you know 20 people on two or three different jobs simultaneously and um that that's very rewarding for me to to be able to see that arc that i've been able to create for somebody's career
0: yeah it's, it's amazing I,
1: like I've, like NYC Decorative Arts um, is is one, a great example, and he's a, Patrick Shoemaker is an extremely talented um, artisan, but he was a very small uh, shop when when we first got together. And I I could I saw his talent and I saw his potential and I knew how to get him in front of the right people. So let's start at the beginning then. Yeah.
0: How did you get into this industry?
1: I uh, I started in this industry as an artisan, I, I as doing decorative plaster finishes, and I think that that is uh, something that's really uh, an important piece of my skill set is that I have the uh, that background and that understanding and appreciation of what it's like to be an artisan and up there on a ladder and you know working with these materials that can be quite fussy at times um, my my background prior to that was in, in fine arts I was a I was actually an abstract painter um, and I guess somewhere in my brain I still think of my I still think I am although I'm not doing any of it but uh, uh, yeah I got I started my business in 2003 and transitioned in around 2000 nine to working with other shops uh, and then that inspired me to, to instead of, I was subcontracting to some other shops and I decided that I wanted to be able to put their name, put the shops that I was working with, put their name on it and really help them and not just to have it be a subcontract relationship where nobody knew who would, you know, it didn't matter who was doing it so now i get to share in the in the limelight and help to build people's other people's careers um, right yeah it's amazing it's a really amazing you know i was i was pretty terrified when i first did it because i thought is this this whole thing could just blow up on me you know, i'm gonna suddenly peel the cover back and everyone's gonna see you know how the sausage gets made and maybe they're just gonna all say i'm i'm not interested and it was really the opposite uh people that the clients that i had didn't mind at all they didn't flinch they knew that they wanted me and they knew that they could trust me to bring in the right people and and then more and more artisans would came to me and they wanted to do more of that with me and i've also sought people out because i like to seek people out especially if i can if there's something that i'm interested in that i'm not doing that i want to do i want to have that be a part of my experience also um i have a great uh emblem artisan that i'm i've worked with a number of times and we're she's she's about to come on board at lisa Stimson, um she's very talented but that's something that i've done a little bit of and but i've been eager to expand on that so um, we've known each other for a number of years and we're going to start working together soon.
0: That's cool. I, I think it takes a very, it takes like the blue ocean mi- mindset of there's plenty of work out there. I know I'm going to add value. I think a lot of times contractors can be very like guarded and, and afraid of the, of the world and think it's a zero sum game. And if, if I do work with you, you know, then I'm going to, hurt because you're getting something or or in your case I would imagine there was probably some I would have I would have been worried about okay I bring in a, a a decorative artist to this project for this designer next time they're just going to go right to the decorative artist and and
1: yeah
0: I think a lot of people might think that um, but we spoke before and, and I like your mindset about the win 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 absolutely uh, so how does that how does that work um
1: well so it's just to even expand on that it's it's even it's more than just that win-win-win in my mind it's that the the um the whole is greater than the sum of its parts that where we are and i've often said this to many artisans that um often when i'm trying to when i'm approaching someone and, and encouraging them to come on board i say it's a rising tide that floats all boats when you come on board you're adding value and that value is like becomes infectious for the rest of us because we can now plug you into a project or we can i can market you and somebody who might not have had a need for any of the other artisans i was working with suddenly sees what the, what you know i i expose you to them and they get attracted to us and suddenly then they realize, oh, I, maybe I do want to do these other things. And so we really can just ratchet everything up and it, on some level it works like a collective where we're, we're all helping each other out. And many times my projects will involve multiple trades working one after the next, after the next. And um, those are my, those are my favorite. When my, when my teams are collaborating with each other, is really exciting but to you back to your point is um yeah it's a legitimate concern right i don't want i don't want to spend time money time and resources marketing somebody then only have them suddenly you know you know go work for one of my clients or something like that and um so but i you know i'm very careful about the artisans that i bring on board and i only bring on people that i trust and i um because i if i and uh because I, I bring on somebody who you know p- performs poorly on a project, that hurts all of us, right? I can't afford that. I have to have people who are you know stand by their work, stand by their word, have a lot of integrity, a lot of um, work, strong work ethic. All of that stuff is, is really important. So I'm very picky about who, who I'll bring on board because I have to be. I can't afford I mean, anything I do for myself, I'm doing to everybody else. Just like the opposite is true. If I bring in somebody, great it helps everybody.
0: Yeah, you're only as good as your weakest. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So
0: how do, so the, the designers like it then because they're dealing with one point person.
1: Right. Yep, and they, and we because I'm I so you know these design offices and architecture firms and GCs, you know they they also they have limited resources uh, as well, and if they have to chase around, you know, an artisan or two or three, that you know that uses a lot of their energy, and so that they know that I'm doing the, the chasing, and I do, you know, I mean artisans are artisans, you know, I mean not ever, not all of them are, you know, that are ready to answer an email within, you know. The, whatever little time window you want but um, so I'm not afraid to follow an email up with a text message or a phone call or you know, <laughs> um, because we need it's it's we got to get done we have a we have to we have to answer to these people so they really and they really appreciate that um, I think also you know after being I've been in the industry now for you know almost 20 years so I bring a lot of design experience and also my background in fine arts I think is very helpful my understanding of materials and processes is very helpful um, and one of the things I pride myself on is being able to decipher the words that come out of a, a designer's mouth and translate that into some into what how an artisan thinks right how you they think about materials and processes and what so, you know, interpret, okay. So that means we have, we do X, Y, then Z, or we do X, Y, and then we do one, two or whatever it is. Um, we had a case like that yesterday, we had two hours of phone call, or Zoom calls covering uh, samples and working on the next round of samples. And there's a lot of back and forth. And um, that's one of the, I think I bring a lot of value there as well. Yeah, this can be incredibly
0: time consuming. It can be frustrating. Uh, Let's talk about samples.
1: Yeah. Samples, I mean, samples are, are, I mean, incredibly important. Um, let's talk about samples. (laughs) Um, the sampling process is everything to me. I mean, you have to have an approved, you know, you want to have an approved sample. Um, and it's a, it's, I always tell people, it's an iterative process. If we get there on the first try, it's, that's probably just pure luck. Um, this, this really should take a few steps. Uh, there should be some back and forth. We give you something and then you can respond to it. And then something concrete that you can respond to. Because you know images are images, words are words, but something you can look at, see and touch makes a big difference.
0: So a designer comes like I have this idea for this living room ceiling, yeah. And I like, and they start describing it, and then you're like, okay, well, I'll, we can get out of this type of plaster with this type of blah blah blah, and you go back and forth with them until you get to a point where you make the first sample. Is that right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And then- so we'll often start with a talk. We'll, we'll just you know we might look at images. We'll talk about materials. We'll talk about. Texture, sheen, all you know—all those materials. What are there materials that they're not interested in having in their space? Um, are there interest? know, there materials that they are? You know, some people are very focused on using hundred, you know, natural materials, um, uh, especially in, if they're interested in plaster. Um, yeah, and and then we, you know, and then when you get into the architectural plaster, you add that layer like you mentioned seal a ceiling I we did a ceiling uh, about a year and a half ago um, polished you know um, polished Venetian plaster ceiling Uh, very challenging thing to do as you know any high gloss on a ceiling is potentially nightmarish so we needed to make sure that it was a perfectly leveled finish at the time I had a painting contractor that I was working with and they so they did all the leveling for us, but we also had a a knife, uh, a knife edge light trough at the, in the, uh, all the way the, the perimeter of the entire room. And we had tadillac walls, wall finish coming up the wall. So we had to do all the sequencing. When are we doing the Tadlac? When are we installing the knife edge? When is the ceiling getting leveled? When is the Venetian going up versus the Tadlac? We want the tadillac to go up into the light trough so you can never see its termination point we want the light coming out of the light trough in a way that you're never going to see the reflection of a light bulb, things like that. Um, and, and by the way, we had a, you know, the designer saying you have to finish this in two weeks. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it gets hairy, but it's fun. So how, how does, what is the how do you charge
0: for samples
1: for example so i encourage i encourage artisans not to charge for samples um a lot of people have issues with samples samples can be problematic um i'm sure everyone who's an artisan who's watching right now has probably had somebody else's sample handed to them at some point and, and asked to duplicate it at least in some sense. Right. So we all get a little nervous about handing samples out because we don't know where they're going to end up and they're costly and time consuming to make. Um, so when we're, when we're just getting to know a a designer and we go in and we do, um, you know, maybe we kind of pitch ourselves to them when we said these are all the things we offer. I like to encourage the artisans to let those samples go and live in that office. Um, even if there's the risk of them migrating into someone else's hands. Uh, I always say that, the, you know, if, if that designer has none of your samples, you're gonna get no work from that. <laughs> If you have if you have all your sample if they have a bunch of your samples some of those samples might go to other places but some of them are going to get work for you if they're good samples and they're being that they're an artist and I've selected I know they're going to be good samples so it, it it it's you just have to kind of bite the bullet and just and just do it um, and then if a designer comes to us and says will you make me you know if somebody says that will you make me 20 samples I know that right off the, there's a red flag right off the bat right why do you need? You you say you have a project? Why do you need twenty samples? You don't. Um, But if they if I don't encourage the artisans to charge for samples because I think this is we can extend some goodwill. We can show that we're part of the team. We'll just provide them with the samples that they need, and let's and let's make sure we follow up, and we'll make the next round, and we'll go from there, and and we'll win this job. Um, I'm I'm always working. And keeping track of every, you know, who, what designers do I need to follow up with? I'm very eager to get my team's work and the jobs that, uh, that are out there.
0: So that's good for me. I'm glad that we're saying that because, uh, I've oftentimes we paint samples. That's, that's fairly easy. We say to a client project, like, all right, we're doing this project. X number of samples are included. If you to mm-hmm. the seventy colors of paint, you got to right. after seven or yeah. whatever. Um, but this, the decorative world—I've been working with the designer, and they kept asking for samples and more samples, and I was like happy, happy, happy. I started to get like this is this is a lot now. Now I've provided yeah. a lot, and sure. I, it started to be like, what the heck? Yeah. I haven't even bid this project yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What?
0: yeah. You know what? I think, I, I think that you're right. You know, if, if we're good and we're providing samples on a timely manner and it's, everything is going well, I, I should be more than happy to spend some time up front investing in the relationship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And right. There's always going to be someone out there somewhere. Who's going to take advantage of you, right? But that's the min- minority, right? And you, if you create a, a a barrier to entry for everybody, just to ward off that one bad apple, it, it's not going to work for you. Um, it's better to be the you know the the giving, generous person, and and you know somebody takes advantage of like shame, shame on them, and you move on. That's, that is great I I think that it, see the world as a
0: great as a good like if you're good yeah put your side put your stuff out there and and it'll all work out
1: yeah I mean I get it I mean when I when I was young and starting out I was very anxious about a lot of things right and I've seen a lot of young artisans make mistakes that reminded me of myself, you know, not you're not getting paid on time for something and you get really, you know, stressed and angsty about it. You know, that's, it's just unfortunate, but um, I, I've, I've been I ultimately i have been burned very, 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 very few times in this in this business. Um, and I've learned that you just got to be patient. and. You know, it's now it's a different story, uh, much more established. We have a portfolio. I mean, anybody who's going to my um, well, we have a new website coming up soon, so that's going to be much better. But anybody goes to our Instagram account, they can see, right? We we've got this these teams and super shot. We have the chops. We can get their work, their project done. So I'm able to have that level of confidence where I can, you know, give out samples and things like that. Whereas I understand with a younger design, a younger artisan where you feel like you might be getting take, taken advantage of because you don't you're not as established. But um I still I encourage I think you should just be generous, do what you can to to be be helpful to the to the to the the people who are asking to work with you really.
0: Well I will call to make tomorrow and some crow to eat. No I just I <laughs> I, I got most of them out. There's been two that took me a while and uh, you know I, I, I'm, I'm gonna change that mindset and be more giving with the samples
1: yeah I, I mean I, I get it. it's hard with I think especially with painting right that's um, it's I think it's a little more it could probably be a little more intimidating when giving out paint samples where you might feel like, you know, they might just be taking these and they're gonna hand them to someone else who won't give them the quality that you're gonna give them, but maybe that person doesn't recognize the difference in, in, the, in the quality. These were Maybe, go ahead.
0: And combined with some metal samples. And so, uh-huh. samples ourselves, we were more than happy to, we did a bunch of iterations. And then the came up like, yeah, I have a team of people that I, my colleagues, like sort of what you were doing. We can you can work with us, and we'll get all those things done. And yeah, and and then more stuff happened. And and I I don't know. I just I didn't I wasn't in the mindset where you are, where you're like, this is what I'm doing, and I'm here to add value. Like I just didn't have I didn't have the right perspective on it. After a while, yeah, and, yeah. blossomed into more and more, and I don't know. I foolishly began to just like not resent, but just be like, "Hey, I did all this stuff already." It's like, "No, mm-hmm. man, keep going." Mm-hmm. You got ninety percent there. Finish it, and uh, you know it was definitely definitely it's definitely a left.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I, I'll I'll admit, you know, I've I've been in that position where I've been ninety percent of the way there, and I got stressed and i you know set the bridge on fire (laughs) and i regret it later tell you yeah Um, i think
0: is is you get stressed yeah and you don't you don't act behave on your best behavior that's right um that's that's right other people and networking and like because this has now changed the way i see things um you know and that's powerful good cool You have. How did you? Let's. I want to hear how you found your first artisans and your first designers. I guess designers came first because you already plastered.
1: Yeah. So I when I first started out, um, I was pretty. It was pretty clear that I needed to be aggressive on this on the sales side, and I, as much as I, it made my skin crawl, when I first started doing this, I started cold calling designers in, in New York City. And um, it was um, not my favorite thing to do, but it, I I realized that it was actually really re- rewarding. Um, and I was able to get meetings and I was able to start getting projects. And, um, you know, I was really, you know, I had some great clients right out of the gate. I mean, Robert Couturier and Bunny Williams and, um, some people, you know, others like that. And, um, it was fantastic, but, um, it was still, you know, you can't, you, you don't have a career with just two or three big designers. You, 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 you you, you know, have to build on that. And, um, uh, so we're still pretty, um, pretty aggressive, on On that side, and I, I think that's one one of the ways that I can, you know, I, I really add value to the artisans that we are managing. I have a responsibility to get them more work, so we need we always need more more clients. Um. And uh, and again, I I I mean, I used to I used to make I used to get um, four by eight sheets of um, masonite back when they still made masonite and i would make samples on the masonite and then rip them down on my table saw into stacks and i would uh and then i had we handmade in our shop we handmade these sample boxes that were like a two-part sleeve and then we we bound them in um, book binding cloth i mean we went all out on these and um I would give these out to the designers. When I would get a meeting with a designer, I'd bring these into their office. And at the end of the meeting, I would g- give them the box. And I uh, cal- I uh, calculated at one point these boxes with the samples and all the materials and time that went into making these cases uh, and the samples and the labeling of them and everything. It was these, each box is probably worth about $500 to, to, to me just in, raw cost right and um i would just give them away i mean go back to talking about you know be generous with your samples i mean that was the foundation of how i built this company first from originally um
0: love it man it's yeah
1: Yeah. And i put yeah i got 50 i remember that i finished doing that kind of like 2008 when things were really hitting the wall i kind of stopped doing that um and uh And by then I had put those boxes in 50 offices in in Manhattan. So you do 50 times 500.
0: Yeah. That
1: adds, that adds up.
0: But you gotta spend money to make money. That's right. I love, I'm always talking about being proactive with stuff like that. I'm a big believer because I did, I didn't for a long time, for a long time. I thought if I just do great work, in a vacuum, yeah. everyone's going to come find me. Right? How the world works?
1: No, it's not how. No. Um, um, no, but it's you know, but it's also taught me that like that's what artisans. Ultimately, when you're when you're doing your projects, you don't have time to do that stuff, right? Um, and that's why it, you a lot of them need help and that's where you know where we come in Is we help do that stuff we spend money on advertising and marketing we you know we're building this this new website and it's gonna feature each artisans gonna have their own section of the website featuring their work and um, it's cool it's really cool it's awesome. it's really hard to beat the pavement and be a full-time artisan really really hard
0: especially when you are performing the work right yeah only when I was able to get out of the field yeah company was I able to make any real headway in sales and marketing as far yeah. as getting my skills better but being able to prioritize because so often you're just trying to get something done like you have I just need to get and it's such a different mind space headspace yeah. to go proactively reach out to clients yeah. and you know put together proposals and work on a bunch of samples those things are so antithetical to getting the work done in the field
1: yep absolutely and and to your point right so like a bigger shop they don't they don't need me um they've gotten to that stage where they can have somebody who's dedicated doing doing their sales or doing their marketing or do whatever it is they're doing um uh but it's the smaller shops that you know so we're, essentially they're pooling their res i i become a pool of resources for them that they wouldn't have access to otherwise
0: it's it's brilliant and then so okay so now you you have designers we'll we'll talk about how you find art artists and stuff mm-hmm. now how does the project management look so you, so you make the samples mm-hmm. get them signed off on then so you come up with pricing and you submit the bid to the, to the designer and, and then you manage the project throughout right
1: so right so the, we actually hold the contract on every project so um which i think is important to our clients they want the accountability to ride with us um so the, the artisans right they give me a proposal i give the and i give the designers a, a proposal and then we uh, will do sampling is often has already started or will start soon after that. Um, and then we, yeah, we proceed to if the project gets a green light and we uh, start working on scheduling logistics, you know, all kinds of things, who sometimes I get after all that work with a designer, I get kicked over to a GC or, or sometimes it stays with the designer or the architect. It's all, it's all, every project's different. And then, yeah, we handle all the all the back and forth, and, um, and you know, and I try to only bring the designer. I mean, or sorry, only bring the art the artisans in when it becomes, you know, important that they be front and center to either hear you know, if it's a site meeting or something like that. But I try to handle a lot of the the the, the back and forth and the minutia every day that that they don't need to, or or I package it, package it all up and give it to them, you know, at the end of the day and then let them respond at once. But we also use a lot of like, we use Slack uh, to communicate uh, with everybody. Um, That's one of the things I kind of require everybody to be on Slack so we can all keep everything in one place. And that's easy to find who said what, when, and find the drawings, find the references for the samples, all that stuff. Um,
0: So artists is producing work and spending a little bit of time doing an estimate and a sample Mm -hmm. but all the other stuff is taken care of by you
1: yeah unless unless you know it's um yeah unless it's something where they need to be you know dealing with it firsthand we'll have i'll be there with them or i'll be on the call like yesterday when the we had two back-to-back calls for discussing samples for one project with two different artisans so I was on the call for you know both of those and about two and a half hours um, split between the two two artisans but um, you know that I wanted them to hear firsthand from the designer and then I would interject and kind of translate and, and make sure that the message was clear not being um, you know, muddied by uh, some designers. It's different when you know the materials and the aesthetic. Whereas a lot of you know, the designers often know the aesthetic. They don't understand the materials. They don't understand the processes. Um. So I was doing a little translating.
0: So I think we. Should, I mean, most people probably. Get, but we are talking about high end to ultra high end residential.
1: For the yeah.
0: These these are not just like clothes get their plaster and follow what the little instructions are kind of thing.
1: No, this is some of the, I mean, we are incredibly fortunate to, I mean, we work in some of the highest end real estate there is. I mean, um, I don't say that to, to, to I mean, I, I, I can probably sound like I'm bragging and I'm certainly proud of it, but, um, it's, I, that's what I, I aim to be at, at the, at the, at the, top end. Um, I think that's where the most interesting work is happening. I think where it's most creative designs are happening. Um, it's where the best talented, the most talented designers are working. The Most talented architects are working. Um, but yeah, we're working all over Manhattan. We just did a project in Palm beach. Uh, we've done things in, in Beverly Hills and LA, um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's very cool.
0: So it's safe to say there's less budget constraint.
1: Uh, I would Yeah, I mean, less. Less. <laughs> yes, I... less. Yes. I mean, yes. When you, yes, it's less. I mean, we still, you know, it still happens. But it's, you know, it's, I guess, it's a matter of where the decimal point is. <laughs>
0: but for a world of the designers are coming to you going, is this possible? like what is possible more than like, how do we be less expensive? Like, how do we do this for the least amount of money is not the top priority. They can. Uh, I
1: mean, so there are, there are times when we are, we might be trying to value engineer something. Right. But it's not, you know, um, I mean, some, something, you know, so a designer and architect might show you something and and you know, right off of the right, like, bat, that's just going to be ridiculous. Right. So yeah, so sometimes we might be trying to figure out how to do that, whatever it is for, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, rather than what it looks, it looks like it's, it would be a million dollars, you know, but yeah, no, I mean, you're talking, yeah, six figures for something is still, that's a lot. Yeah. But, um,
0: but in the in, in your world, it's like aesthetics.
1: They, yeah, they, they dominate. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure, for sure. People want what they want, and they want to figure out how to get it. And um, and when you're doing things that are handmade, that's uh, you know, they I mean they they know they're gonna it's gonna be expensive. Yeah. That's
0: in my experience. I agree with you. Like I, that's why I love the market that we're in
1: is yeah
0: yeah, there's a lot of money but it's not like it's it's just that money is not the first thing limiting what can happen right what can what is actually possible here i have yeah let's go down that path and find out what that might look like right opposite of like you know general like cost we're getting three bids from google repainting our bedroom totally Price is the determining factor for most people in America who are having trades work done. That's right. And, but when you get to a certain level, there, price is not the determining factor. It's it's a piece of it for
1: sure. But it's a piece of it, yeah. But it's not the
0: right. Craft people need to really push the limits of craft. Right. In a in a different way, I, I don't want to take away from craftsmen who are repainting bedrooms for a cost-effective amount because there's craftsmen doing things for less money as well.
1: And Absolutely, because- yeah.
0: But when you take away the budget and you say, what can aesthetically be created here? That's a really fun thing for some.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to point out too, right? You and I, in discussing this, we're not talking about, you know, slushy amounts of money that are, you know, overflowing everybody all everybody's pockets, right? We're talking about doing things that, cost a tremendous amount of money to to produce right the the paints that you use are the most expensive paints there are in the market plaster finishes of high quality are incredibly expensive making molds for ornamental plaster is incredibly you know labor intensive when you're uh like the project that you and that how we met through uh the project in boston um we made that Uh, plaster freeze that whole thing had to be hand carved out of clay so that they could then make a mold to cast it once it's never that was in our contract it can only be cast once there can be no duplicate of it you destroy the mold well actually we're we're storing the mold for them in case you know fingers crossed nothing ever happens to it but we will be able to recast it for them but that was all done out by hand um i haven't shared an image of uh, of that yet because we the homeowner because of covid has not been to their home yet they have not been able to see it so we're not sharing it with anybody until the homeowner sees it so um i will share that at some point but i know you've seen it um that costs a lot of money to do um but you know, the artisans and myself, nobody got slushy amounts of money, right? This was just, they, the client knew what they wanted and they were willing to pay for it. And people put in incredible hours to, to do that. It took us, I mean, I worked on that project for, that, that was a year for me, from the time that the designer approached me to the time that we installed it. Um, that's a ton of work. Yeah. And drawings and you know, we did iterations and iterations of drawings and um, samples and you know, conference calls and all kinds of stuff. But it's yep. so thrilling when you see the photograph of it completed, you're like, That's amazing! We did that, we did that. That's so what is, cool.
0: What is that process? Can we go? Can we talk about that process a little bit
1: of making a, a freeze like yeah. that? Yeah, uh, so the uh you want me to start from the very beginning so uh the designer approached me and they wanted uh a, a freeze i think it's you know it's somewhere six feet wide or seven feet wide eight feet tall something like that and um they had a kind of a motif in mind and um a lot of uh plant life and birds and there's like a little stream running through it. It's got a very forced perspective. So even though it's a bas relief, but it, um, so there's probably, I mean, there's less than an inch, probably half an inch, maybe three quarters of difference between the highest point and the lowest point. But it appears, it creates the illusion of being, you know, a hundred feet of visual space. Uh, and it's all one color. It's not even, it's not even painted in color. It's all white. Uh, so we, we did drawings. Uh, we look at the, uh, we worked off the architectural drawing. So we know the exact space we have to coordinate with the mill worker. So we know how it's going to be installed. It's cause it's going to get trimmed out into permanently installed in the wall. Uh, we start doing drawings, the drawing, we're doing full size drawings. So those are going back and forth in, you know, tubes, uh, to to boston and uh and then once we had an approved drawing we set up uh, a panel in the studio uh and it they start carving it in in clay modeling clay it's all done by hand and then we would do weekly we were doing weekly uh this is actually before covid so we were doing just regular FaceTime uh, weekly meetings in the studio. So we would hold, you know, had the, the, you know, you're holding your phone up and showing them the di- different details and, uh, anything they wanted to change. You just, you know, the artisan would go in and wipe out the clay and start again. Um, I did that. So that, that was carved by, um, Hyde Park moldings. It's one of my fantastic collaborative partners. Um, they, uh, we do a, Ton of work together, um, and they're incredibly talented. Um, and uh, and then once we had it, a finished model, we present that to the client. The client approved it. We make a mold, cast it, and they we cast it in one piece and shipped it up. And then they installed. Hyde Park installed it. Uh, and then we uh, finished it and I just think they just got a nice lime, soft lime paint on it. Um, but it's a, you know, and that so that that whole process was a, was a year. And uh, unfortunately, the client has yet to see it. That was, uh, I think we installed it in August. It's crazy. The, the poor guys who
0: were installing that, man, I, that's got to be nerve wracking.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're experts, they know exactly what they're doing. Um, They're highly skilled, those guys. Uh, And, you know, they didn't finish, they finished it after they installed it. So at least if they made if it got a little scratch or a nick, they could, they could fix it and then, and then do the, when they do the line paint afterwards. And Um,
0: cast it in a, like some sort of casting cluster, like a cluster for casting. uh,
1: yeah so um what do they use for that i'm I, um they probably use something like a hydrocal um which is what i so i don't know if anybody's looking at our some of the stuff on our instagram there were some freezes from years ago for robert couturier which i did uh in my studio back this was when i still had my studio so i was i think we did those in 2007. and um we did all the carving in wax and made molds using um, polyurethane molds and then cast in and uh, hydrocal which is really really hard plaster. It's great cool stuff very cool stuff
0: very cool stuff
1: don't cast your hand in it though it sets off really really <laughs> with a lot of heat so you do
0: and that's it's bas relief not bad
1: yeah that's right bar relief yeah <laughs> yeah
0: Yeah, uh, good
1: you can't say bass relief yeah
0: i read it and i heard it said before so oh okay glad that there you go (laughs) not make a fool of myself someplace don't worry about it um okay so what other like let's i I, the the plaster i'm someone said something earlier about the fluted um walls you have a, a picture of these like 3D pretty d- deep fluted walls. What is, what goes into a process like that? And somebody said it's very expensive, is that right?
1: Um, yeah, it can't, yeah, it's one of, you know, it's an expensive element, it depends on what you're doing. So it, if I'm not sure which image they're looking at, if it was the, was it the Kips Bay? Do you think it's might? we did those, um it was a small room uh with a kind of a geometric flute uh kind of a slight almost trapezoidal shaped flute with a a radius uh, cove where the flute went up through the radius cove and then it terminated at a just a little three-quarter round uh piece of trim uh the what makes a project like that expensive is the, is the radius Cove because that has to, you have to take the flute design and turn it into a a radius. So you then have to carve flutes that are exactly perfect to the, uh, to the panel that's going to go on the wall. That's just straight. So that you can bench run, right? You just, you make a knife and you run it on a horse on a table with a straight edge, you make them 16 inches wide. Um, that's not, you know, crazy, uh, time intensive, but to make it into a, a radius cove takes a, a lot of work. And then you, again, you, you carve it and you make a mold and then you have to cast each one of these pieces and then everything that gets set in and then you can do your miters in your, in your corners when you install it that, you know, that the installation has a lot of challenges because you don't, you know, the dimensions of the room you want, you don't want flutes hitting the corner differently on each corner. You want to make sure all the corners look the same. You want to make sure your flutes are hitting your, your corners perfectly. You got to close up all the joints. You got to make it look all nice. And then you, and again, we use a, a lime paint. I love lime paint over cast blaster. I think it's a, beautiful beautiful look it's a really soft the light just kind of just hits it so softly and it has a little bit of kind of radiance to it but it's just a soft low sheen effect it's really really beautiful
0: what's your favorite lime
1: paint brand i you, you you gotta ask ask let's get patrick on here you should talk to patrick someday get patrick on here he would tell you all that. Um i think maybe i know he's using LimeWorks a lot um and
0: that's nyc decorative
1: arts nyc decorative arts yep so yep
0: talk to me about how you run on your, art, your artisan
1: uh so patrick was uh, from nyc decorative arts was the first artisan that i was managing as a more of a kind of management representation model where i was using his name um he he had approached me uh looking he wanted to get onto onto my some of my projects um he was looking for work and uh we just started talking and we started, you know, started working together He start kind of started some small projects and we started doing bigger projects for him with him. And, um, eventually I realized that he had the chops to, you know, really take on bigger projects. Um, I had, was still at that time working primarily with another studio. They were doing all my kind of more large complex projects. I walked, kind of walked Patrick in. And as I saw how he handled himself and how much he cared about his work and ha- had skills, I decided to, to make this leap with him. And um, we've had, you know, it's been, we've had just so much success together. It's really exciting. Um, I mean, some of my, I, I, I don't know, I have this one moment that I just feel so, makes me feel so good about what I do um I, mean, I just, I remember I got him a really like the first really huge job and I secured it two two days before his first child was born. And I knew having been a recent father my, myself at that time, I, I knew what that meant to him. Uh, and I just made all the, I mean, I just, I still carry that around as just this moment of that means if if i could just have moments like that more often it would be really make my life so wonderful
0: so you went from him to what was the next who was it partisan um happen? well so uh,
1: yeah so we have yeah metamorpho uh it was uh sylvie bilger she's um but metamorphos her instagram handle she's an incredibly talented um decorative painter she's uh She's from from France. She um, started out young, working in France. Uh, She trained at at Versailles doing restoration work uh, at Versailles. And then she came came to the US and um, she's been here for ever since and she's wonderful i always love bringing her on projects because she's just got she's such a lovely warm personality with that amazing french accent just people just they just they melt for her <laughs> it's, it's a nice thing to watch um and we have um david faust who's another incredibly talented painter uh he uh, does decorative decorative painting. He's also uh, a fantastic muralist. Um, you can also you can see his. Uh, he's had I have so some of these. Both of those artisans would also have work on on my Instagram. You'll be able to find them through that through that. Um, uh, David's also a fine art painter, as is Patrick. Um, but, but but David does uh, incredible murals, really wonderful stuff. Um, and then uh, Lisa Stimson, who I mentioned earlier, is, is an egglermazer is artisan, and um, and then who will be coming on soon. And then we have some some people who um, will be coming soon. That's what we have on the, on the website. There's a there's going to be a few spots for some up and coming people. It'll be exciting to to share
0: so if somebody be an artisan and work with you Mm -hmm. how do they go about doing that
1: uh reach out um i mean i i i love talking to uh i love talking to artisans even if it you know isn't a good fit um i certain i like giving advice i like helping um and if somebody is a good fit i uh, like you know i feel like it's a process you know you want to get to know somebody and get to know them personally i think it's very important that i get along with the artisan personally and, and i feel that they have uh that they're a good person and that they're going to stand by you know t- stand by their word and that they really care about what they do um and so it's a process of getting to know them and but um you know, if, if it's somebody who's young and doesn't have much work and they wanna jump on projects with other, you know, with say with Sylvie or David or, or go work with, help Lisa or work with Patrick or do stuff with Hyde Park or whatever, you know, we can we can certainly help in that regard. Um, and that's a great way to kind of vet young new artisans. And see how um, how they fit in with these other people, and uh, and if if that works, then you know maybe we start start trying to get them work of their own. Um, if they're a little more established, then you know I like just tell me, show me what you what what do you have, um, what do you do? What I, I'm always looking for. Pe- I I don't like to bring on people who. Are going to compete with the people that I'm currently managing, right? So I wouldn't, not really looking for, uh, at least not in New York. Um, I'm not looking for another plaster finisher, um, but you know, if you're in LA, <laughs> um, I'm looking to ex- expand in that. We've done a number of projects out there, but it's um, we could be doing a lot more if we had somebody out there local. Um, and uh, I'm always looking for new things. I mean, there, there's so many things out there that people do that uh, that we don't currently have. Um, and I know that my, I know that my clients will respond well to talent and um, you know, part of what I like about what I do is that I'm expanding I hope I am, and expanding the appreciation for artisan trades, and that um, I know. I mean, there are a lot of designers that do appreciate it already, but I I want that to stay healthy and get stronger and stronger. I think the artists, a lot of artisan trades, start kind of start losing uh, their their edge in the in the marketplace in the '90s. Um, as i think some of the marketplace you know was going in other directions and it's come back and it's it's pretty healthy right now but i really wanted to get even stronger um and because i think you know like you said these these clients who have the budget for it are willing to spend the money to, to to support it and we should encourage that and and let them let them do it let them have the great the great stuff Um, they are helping to support people who want to be creative and want to work with their hands. And that's not easy.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's awesome that they exist because they empower craftspeople to push the limit of what they can do.
1: Right. They create opportunities for, for, for us all to, to do what we want to do to the highest level that we can do it. Yeah. Right. What about gloss work? You guys do some high gloss stuff we do yeah we do patrick yeah patrick does that too he's been doing yeah the high gl- the, the the yeah we do the fine the fine paints of europe um hand brushed um pretty much does he pretty much does it all hand brushed. so that we've been what we've been lo- watching some of your videos and we're very inspired by the um we've been talking about bringing out the sprayer maybe for some, some of the, un, some of the, some of the under layers, but I love the, I love the, the having the, the faintest sense of the hand sh- it showing up in there. Um, that gets me. I, I, I like, you know, I, I know you don't, you don't want it to be brushy or streaky in any sense, but just that you see something in there. That's where you see that hand in there. It's nice.
0: It is, and sometimes we we just finished a project where they wanted brush strokes.
1: And yeah,
0: old world. It was and a whole story to the house and sure I wanted a traditional brush finish, like you would see if you traveled Europe. And yeah, and so we yeah, made that's great. It took many rounds of samples to brush strokes because we've been to get so- it
1: get it ju- to get it just right. Right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Been trained to take the brush strokes out and make yeah. them.
1: Yeah, I think, but you know, it's funny you say that because I have um, a, a good friend of mine who, you know, he had a, he had a new kitchen done and he had some new cabinets put in and he was feeling like, oh, these, I don't know, you know, these look a little too new. And I said, just tell your painter, put some brush stroke, let the brush strokes, lay it on thick, you know, put it and, and it just gave it that little, you know, made them not look brand new. Gave him a little something to to look at. look beautiful. wasn't yeah. in high gloss. I think you know it was kind of like an eggshell, you know, or some satin finish, but looked really nice.
0: It does. I, I like the brush stuff. Yeah. Um. Artists, artisans, and artists can be finicky, right? They're passionate, creative people. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about like managing the you're a Talented artist. What is that like? You, someone asked. About, um, well, let's talk about that first. But I, I mentioned okay. the morale, like managing morale on a job, right? Because you know obstacles get in your way, things don't go the way you want. Um, yeah, you're probably in there coaching as much as yeah managing the project
1: yeah i mean that's another one of those things that comes with experience right that you like like our earlier conversation around the sample process um learning to be patient and know that it's part of the process right some projects are not going to go well and also just and also knowing when to push back and when it's okay to push back and say no i'm not going into that i'm not doing my work in that room until every other trade is done right i'm right and knowing and having the confidence to you know push back on some you know gc who's angry and behind schedule himself and he's you know barking at you to you got to get in there i need you you, you know you got to be able to say well if you if i start this now it's not going to go well. But if I start it in two weeks, when you, when you're done with all you have to do, we're going to do a better job and we'll still meet the timeline. Um, and that's, that's not always easy to do. And also, you know, and so, yeah, sure. You know, a, an artisan who's gotten to a job site, got all his tools there, got all his stuff there. Suddenly somebody comes along and says, we got, we got to cut a hole in that wall. You know, the, the electrician forgot to run a cable or, you know, who knows what, and it's, and they, you know, the artisan rightfully is upset. And yeah, you gotta talk them down and just say, look, it's, you know, let's go back to the studio and go make, go make, go make lots of samples and we'll, we'll, we'll use those to find more projects. So this won't matter to you as much in the future. You'll have, you'll, you'll just, you'll, you know, that's the thing when you're busy you, and something like that happens, you go fine. I, I I needed these guys over you know the other side of town anyway so we'll be back in a week um but it's hard to recognize that when you're young and starting out and...
0: i have some artisans on my team and <laughs> you have to there are humans like anybody you know all humans like as yeah. boss like my job is to manage them yeah and yeah you're hey calm down we got this
1: yeah this
0: what we thought it was gonna be but we like yeah i find myself doing a fair amount of that but that's my job like yours just to facilitate
1: greatness in people that's that's an excellent way to phrase that to facilitate greatness in people
0: and right. uh, super talented people at the craft sometimes need that
1: yep yeah, yeah
0: maximize and to keep the stress levels down could they get the work done i'm sure they could get the work done but yeah it's it keeps things moving smoother to have somebody that gets them right that gets the craft
1: to yeah
0: and from above
1: yep
0: and in my company that's my job and yep. and for you it's it's with the the
1: other artisans yep absolutely if, yeah i mean i'm very you know i'm 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 pretty careful in my you know my vetting process and i, I need to know that somebody's going to be i don't expect everybody to be you know easy peasy all the time to work with but you can't be a jerk you know it's just not gonna it's just not gonna work it's just not gonna work i don't have the time i don't have the energy to to, to deal with that um and i don't want i don't want the risk of you you know flaring up in front of somebody, you know, it just won't it just won't work. So I, I I that that is not one of my that's not one of my bigger issues uh that I have to deal with. Um you know making getting uh sometimes getting artisans to to get me everything I need on the timeline that we had previously discussed that sometimes comes up. And so sometimes I'm chasing people around, you know, reminding them that they owe a sample to this person and that person or a proposal to me for this or that. But, um, for, for the most part they, they, um, I mean, we've had some, we've had some rough characters come through, but they go, they go back, they go out the back door. Um, they just don't, it just doesn't last. So,
0: I experience this a lot. My job is to tell guys when it's good enough and when it's time to stop. Yeah, you is that something that you have to do as well? You know, these high level, any high level meticulous crafts person gets in the zone. Yeah, sure. Narrow lens and wants perfect, and oftentimes my job is, nope, oh, good. This is
1: time
0: to stop Um, yeah I mean a
1: lot of the times what we're doing has a we've 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 distilled it down to um, a bit of a formula before we get on site you know in the sample making process Um, I'm probably a little bit like that person that you're describing myself so I'm, so I, so I probably am uh, right there alongside, going, yeah, right. What do we can? What can we do to like? But yes, at times we'll have to. We do, you know, say, all right. You know what? Like they're gonna, they don't want us in here anymore. <laughs> they don't want us making dust. They don't want us, you know. They've got to get the furniture in here, or they've got to, you know, they've got something else going on. But um. I'm probably a pretty. I'm. I'm. I can be a bit of a perfectionist myself. Yeah.
0: They're gonna lay carpet down. They're gonna put art on the walls. They're gonna put in this place. Yeah. So, right now, everything is masked off, and all we see is the walls.
1: Yeah.
0: Not to get the case later.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's you have to be careful of some traps too, where you say, you know, in a hand-on product there's always inherently going to be something that's shows you that it's handmade and I, that's okay. I think that part has to be okay. And the risk is that you get into this vicious cycle where you think, "Oh, I don't like that little thing over there. And you, you know, you redo it. Now there's a little thing over here and you redo it. Now there's a little thing over here and you redo it. It's like, you're, no, you're never going to, there's always going to be something.
0: Nope. Let it go. Nope. I, I get that with with plaster I don't I'm not an expert but for me the what like the one thing with gloss is you could do everything and then you do that final coat and something goes wrong it's not a one-day fix no right oh wait we, we have to listen to so we struggle with scheduling gloss projects because you know, you don't know like we have a, a we have a schedule right now on a project. We're doing a bunch of gloss walls We have a good idea of where we're gonna be at right. But we may put that final coat of primer on and see that we need Another round right. of buddy. Yeah, they put that final coat of gloss on and a Piece of dust hits right at eye level right at the most prominent spot Yeah, and, or you get a sag or yeah. That's where, to me, gloss is the hardest that thing that we do, because yeah, there's a whole domino effect.
1: Absolutely, yeah, no, I say that you're, you're, that is, is one of the hardest things to do. It's full of risk, right? It's full of risk. Yeah. You're so dependent on those walls being in good shape, and then. Yeah. You get that, you get that first coat of gloss on there and you go, Oh man, this (laughs) what looked and felt even like to your hand felt like a perfectly flat wall has all kinds of things in it. It's not just a little patch, little nail thing here. It's, you got to get the big, the big trowel out and bridge those, these two ripples in the wall, (laughs) you know, there's a tape scene scene here and here we got to create a bridge between the two of them it's it's definitely it, it makes it work. we try to
0: reduce this keep the risk low, but it does yeah make it a bit of a stressful situation when I have a gloss project that has to get done by the 22nd that we got to get the team to it well you know if everything goes well in the project that we're on now we're good
1: yeah sure mm-hmm
0: you know that's what I'm, you know, we, we stay up at night thinking about. Yep. Absolutely. So you said, you've mentioned that you work in LA and in Florida. How does mm-hmm. work
1: for you? What does that look like? For a I, Um, I mean, travel is, um, travels fine. I mean, we, it doesn't happen a lot because it's, expensive right that we we basically just say to the to the client whatever the price for the product is the same but the travel expenses are getting passed through to you a hundred percent we don't mark it up there's no markup there's nothing but whatever the airfare the hotel car a per diem for the for the guys all that stuff that's going to be on the final invoice Back it up by receipts if, if you want, but it's you're, it's and it can add a a lot. Um, some people it's a, they're okay with that it's, and they want they what they want. Some and some people it's a deal breaker. But um, and in some cases I've um, you've worked with teams that are local. Um, uh, I had a I had a team in L.A. for for a while that we, we were working with out there. Um, and i've also flown people to la it depends i mean it's we'll figure um, out boston yeah boston let's see. boston's great boston there? was there uh,
0: sorry have you done a lot of work up there
1: um i've done some i uh you know when i started out one of my one of my early clients was the the georgia armani store on newberry street um i used to that was maybe one that was like my first or second client and I would go in there uh, you know come in at close and leave at three in the morning uh, do it again the next day Um, and I've done uh, yeah I've done I've done I've done a a handful of work in in Boston uh, and as well as that new project which was really great so hopefully we'll be doing more we should, we should, we should work together. We should get together on some,
0: you have, a, you have a gloss guy in Boston now.
1: Excellent. I love that. That's excellent.
0: And we have decorative artists that I'll put you in contact with there's some people, um, that I think you would like to talk to good. It would be a mutual benefit mutually benefit arrangement. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, we have a few questions that we have at the end of the podcast. Okay. The first question is I need a DIY decorative plaster tip. If, if I'm a homeowner and I want uh-huh. to plaster wall, what would you Oof.
1: tell me? Oof.
0: Other than keep your expectations low. <laughs>
1: um, I would say um, think about, Think about going with uh, a lime paint instead of a lime plaster. If you like the, depending on what you like, if you're if it if if you like something that's less modeled or you know almost m- monochrome, uh, but has a nice authentic look of something old world and plastery and textural. Um, the lime paint is a uh, much more for giving less labor intensive application. And it can look really beautiful. Awesome. That's nice. Yeah.
0: That's it. That's yeah. a. Great... Recently did a lime paint project for a designer. Um, you did. Yeah, no, uh, you're right. It's, it's,
1: you know, y- you couldn't, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I love the lime paint that, you know, the, um, one of the thing you have to be careful with, I'm sure you see this a lot in your world, um, existing orange peel on, on a wall or anything can really set you back. And that's one of the potential problems with with the lime paint. If you just go over an existing wall, you might, that texture might flash through. But um, I love using lime on, we're doing a lot of it on top of, trowel plasters where we'll do two coats of marmorino or something like that or calcera uh, and and then use lime paint on top of it and then knock through and reveal some of the plaster underneath or we use the lime over over the uh ornamental um plaster like in the case of that frieze or the or the fluted walls that we did at kipps bay for sarah bartholomew who was the designer for that um, and, uh, I, yeah, I love, I think lime paint is, we've done it on exteriors. We've done some, um, some brick homes that we've done a lime, lime paint exterior on. It's wonderful stuff. Really great stuff.
0: Have you ever the Japanese
1: plaster called sh- Shikui? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um so they have a number of different uh plasters in japan a lot of them are similar in some ways to the european plasters. uh they use uh they'll use um like kelp in some of the plasters they will use uh calcium so they use a lot of uh, one of the manufacturers uses uh, eggshells tons and tons of eggshells and uh in in addition to the lime plaster and they use uh i think it's what it is diatonaceous earth i think is that right the um it's like the exoskeletons of microorganisms and they i think is what that stuff is um yeah they make a trial plaster and and, and a lot of those japanese plasters can be used ex- on the exterior, uh similar to uh, a tadlac like a moroccan plaster and it absorbs co2 is that right Yeah, I think that yeah, a lot of like the lime plasters will absorb. Yeah, they absorb CO2. They absorb um, a lot of times if you do an unsealed plaster, especially if it has a if it's a really thick application. It acts as a natural air conditioner. It will pull humidity out of the air, and then as the air dries, it will release it back in. So it, it creates some sort of some stabilization to temperature and. I mean, you're talking about really old traditional uses. I mean, it doesn't really work when it's over, you know, gypsum wallboard. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that was part of the, yeah, part of the reason that they, it was so appealing to people many, 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 many years ago, as you it had all these other properties that it was doing. It's uh, uh, lime it, it re- is naturally repellent to uh, insects and bacteria and things like that. Um, so you create a, a healthy environment just by using these natural blasters.
0: Yeah. Beats the pants out of, uh, well, I'm not gonna say, it. <laughs> and I've, we've heard, I've heard you say that a number of times. I don't know a lot about the plaster world and there's so many of these fancy names, right? They're all foreign yeah. American invented plasters.
1: Yeah. What, what was it? the term? What's the word? I, you lost you for a second there. Tadlac. Tadlac. Yeah. So Tadlac is a traditional Moroccan plaster. Uh, and they would use it on the exteriors of buildings. They would use it on floors, walls, uh, interiors. They, they would use it in the, in the baths, uh, in the sinks <laughs> on the floor of the bathroom. Um, we we're doing it uh, now uh, more and more. And, uh, on you, people, it's it's becoming more and more popular to do a shower uh, in a, in a tadillac instead of tile. So you get a monolithic feel of everything being one continuous surface. Um, it's nice, and um, you know you set the you set the bathroom up like you would to, for a tile application, and instead of using tile, you you use a, a, a lime plaster. You have to have all the waterproofing in place and all that stuff, but it's beautiful stuff. Really beautiful.
0: I recently saw uh, a GC that was
1: doing like a whole bathroom in it. Uh huh. Yep. It's we white. just did one in it, in, and in, 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 in against it. we didn't do the floor, but we did all the walls, the whole the whole bathroom, all the shower, every all the walls, everything. Cool.
0: It's it becomes encompassing base. That's right
1: yeah yeah and I, I mean just uh, lime plaster just has this beautiful uh, it's just something about it it just has this you know that just this tactile feel and look and aura about it it just feels so nice to be enveloped by it um, and uh, yeah it's a pretty cool project that I, I, I haven't seen it Entirely finished because the, they still hadn't put in the fixtures or the floor when I was there last. But um, very, it's cool. Very cool.
0: Awesome. So now, yeah. what is your favorite piece of pe- painting, plastering paraphernalia? Like tool, piece of equipment, you sub, uh, product, you name.
1: it. Oof. that's a tough one I don't know I mean I I we're having so much fun right now doing the fluted plaster walls and then applying lime finishes on them Um, and so that's a very you know casting process but I also mentioned how Hyde Park fabricates the the flutes on the bench so they do that they cut a knife and they run it on a bench if you've ever if you've never watched somebody produce a plaster molding or a plaster panel that's bench run it's so cool to watch i mean they make something that's very three-dimensional out of you know they're taking liquid out of a bucket and they and then setting up as they're doing it. they're doing layer after layer after layer until they get it just into this beautiful shape um so as far as a from a what a, a a process or something that interests me a lot right now that's that's something that I, i'm very i love watching that happen
0: and then they they come all the panels
1: and they like blend the seams yeah and yeah so the guy so they lay down a little bit of plaster on the table and it's a non-adhesive surface right so they and then they lay down burlap and then they run this thing back and forth back and forth adding more plaster piling plaster, the plaster in front of it and back and forth back and forth until it it's a form and then it gets hard enough that they can pop it off the table you, know, you can put a hole in one end and hang it from a from a hook so it can cure and uh, do that a 100 times and then you've got then you can yeah you install these and then you point them like you would point bricks but you make it perfect and you use the same same material and it becomes monolithic and then we come in and apply finishes to it um, and if the depending on the contour of the flute we can do uh, if it's highly you know detailed or articulated we might only do a lime paint on it but if it has something that's a softer and doesn't have lots of tight corners we can do a, a polish plaster on it and we're we're going to do one this month. where it's a, a nice rounded flute, and we're um, that does have a, a radius cove on the ceiling also. But that's going to be beautiful. That's in one of those new super talls, and um, and the the new the new Fifty Seventh Street uh, area of Manhattan with all these super tall buildings going up there. Working in those things is crazy, huh? Crazy. I I don't know if I posted a picture of it. There's a yeah. I mean it you, f- you see the clouds and you feel like the cloud, you're like, you're at, I, you know, looking eye to eye with it, with the clouds. It's pretty intense. It's cool. Very cool. All right. Final. <laughs> question. I, lo- I lost you there. For- yeah. So say I lost you for a second. Come back. That
0: part is, is the final question that we ask everyone that comes on the show. Okay. Um, it's obvious that you are an expert at what you do. You're at the highest level there is. But now we need to bring you back down to earth, and we yeah. want to hear, like the most embarrassing, worst horror story you can possibly stomach telling us. If you've been doing this for as long as you've been doing this, I painted the wrong house one time. <laughs> uh, we've a pretty
1: unbelievable horror story. Um, so do you have something for us? Oh, let me think about that. Um. i mean i think i don't know if, i don't know if i have anything that makes me cringe from and uh perspective of a, something that where i was working on the project and it was something that went wrong with the project right i've had things go wrong i mean i've had you know I, we did a polished venetian plaster once in this apartment on, on lower fifth avenue and the guy installing the tv in the master bedroom was in putting his bolts in the wall and the bolts came through until on the living room side and we had to re- redo this whole wall that wasn't really my you know the things like that don't i the things that make me cringe are the things i think when i talk and i when i was young and naive and new to the business and scared at times about getting taken advantage of, or, you know, make, you know, was I not going to get paid, you know, and just not knowing that the industry was actually 99.9% full of really good people. Um, and so the things that make me cringe were would probably be some of my my uh, there's a handful of these early interactions maybe where i just really you know i set the bridge on fire and it was just you know it was dumb (laughs) like really set it on fire you know like um, and i've been really fortunate to come back and work with some of those people again Uh, but there's a couple that that they had it they were like nope never again but i learned hard i learned a lesson really that is etched in my brain man can you tell me one of the horror stories um i mean there was a a there was a miscalculation in square footage um because there was a bit of a rush job with this one client they wanted to meet it was a project in florida and we got to get you started we got to get you started here quote it, quote us this project from photographs, you know. And I said, Okay, but you know, it's gonna be, this is going to be a guess and the final bill is going to represent the actual square footage. And uh, that created a little tension at the end of the end of the project. And I, uh, in my youth and anxiety and all that stuff, I hit the wall. I went, I went kind of berserk. And uh, I mean, I had other, you know, I had, um, I had other people to pay. And, you know, there was a whole, you know, this was like a cascading thing. And that's, like, really freaked me out. Um, And yeah, I I lost it, lost my cool, (laughs) lost my cool. And, uh, and that was a, a, you know, a harsh lesson. But that, was a really important lesson. And I still care. I mean, it's still sometimes it shakes me still when I think about how dumb and naive I was. And I had, a, you know, I had this young, this young artisan who was working. I, I started representing her. This was a, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago. And I could see, I saw some of myself in her and I thought, you know, like I can coach this, I can coach that out of her, you know, and that um, it didn't really, it didn't really work. And she was, you know, I think one of the lessons, another lesson, others that people show you their cards early on. Right. And if you don't, if you choose to ignore those cards, you do it at your own peril. The cards that they're showing you are, those are the cards they're going to play. So that was, that's another lesson. I, And that one was only two years ago. <laughs> but um i think i thought oh, i see some of myself in her i can i can save her from the pitfalls that i you know and no she was just jumping right in right into those same pitfalls and i'm like no 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 don't do it don't do it don't do it and uh, she's just charging ahead and i'm like this is not going to work not going to work so um i think i uh, hopefully she's found footing else, elsewhere um- some of us have to make
0: the mistake hard way sometimes some of us can learn i think when you get older it's easy to learn from other people's mistakes
1: Uh uh-huh
0: you have to you sometimes have to make them
1: yourself i I tell my son all the time you know i say you know one of you sometimes we learn the most from our failures don't be afraid to fail you that one i always say if you're not failing you're not trying hard enough and apps don't don't let failure just you know wreck you you learn from it failures teach you often way more than your successes do totally yeah
0: well jonas thanks so much for being here thank you for my
1: pleasure this is so cool um i'm having a this is really really fun I, i really appreciate you bringing me on and it's been a pleasure to get to know you we've had a we've had a number of great conversations think we're very uh kind of like-minded um people in the industry it's always nice to connect with people like you
0: i agree we we will let's we're going to stay in touch and we're going to work together
1: again i love it i know it i'm trying to read i haven't been able to read him any of these comments i'm hoping that i can that i'll have to go through and try to do some of that here after
0: we end this but uh, i tried to anything that was relevant to what we were talking about i tried to bring up.
1: Great. Well, I hope people will feel comfortable, you know, reaching out to me. They can always message me right on um, on Instagram uh, through the Superstrata USA, um, or or come on the website and send me an email. I get the emails for the info at superstratausa.com. Awesome. Cool. Zach, what a pleasure. Yeah, this has been great. This is awesome.
0: I look forward to more of your crazy punk, about these we're working on
1: <laughs> yeah we have some good ones we have some good ones coming up we've got uh, we've got we're doing uh, five con- floors of unbroken fluted panel from from the first floor to the top of the fifth floor in <laughs> a stair in a stair in a stairway yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll get to post it, and it'll be a while. But something will, yeah, we'll get something out of that. Amazing. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a, it's so cool. It's going to be so cool. Awesome. So. Well, thank you. Excellent. Talk soon. Thanks, Doc. Have a great night.